You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings. Today, I've got John Pullman, Ducks Unlimited Magazine contributor. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Chris. Good to be with you. And I asked John to join me today to kind of rehash and go over... um, an old piece that John, I say an old piece, it's probably only two or three years old that, that John did for us on ducks.org. Um, it's called lifetime skills for the waterfowl hunter. And this is, you know, really kind of, it's a, a learning tool. It's a, you know, something to look at is like almost even the progression of a hunter. And, but these are some of the fundamentals that, that you kind of reached out to different experts to find out exactly what this, process of learning and developing and becoming a duck hunter, not only what it is, but what are the steps to go by? And one of the first ones um, is really, you know, what everyone thinks about with duck hunting. Even when you see commercials made on TV that people don't even know what they're talking about in duck hunting, um, they always have a call and there's a duck call. It's almost like the symbol of being a duck hunter. Um, kind of talk about duck calling and the transition of learning to becoming an expert and then also to really having that as a lifetime skill for a hunter. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you just on a personal note, duck calling is, it's absolutely my favorite part. It's my favorite aspect of a hunt. Um, being able to, to know that you, um, be, you know, watching the reaction of the birds as you, as you're making some sounds on the call and, and knowing that you're in some way impacting their behavior and, and, and bringing them closer and putting them in, in a shotgun range, um, is just, it's my favorite part. And it's, it's, I love the sounds. I, you know, I could sit and listen to a, you know, one of my favorite things is, is to, pull up to the marsh or whatever and before before shooting light early in the morning and just rolling the window down and listen to those birds on the water whether it's you know hen mallards just sounding off or widgeon or wood ducks or or whatever it is i i love duck calls i love duck calling it's just absolutely my favorite thing and so um you know for the piece when i wrote i talked to barney caliph and barney's uh you know three-time world duck calling champion and he's uh he's he's been around the block a long time as a a duck caller and you know you sit and listen to barney or any of these guys that do competition calling and whether it's main street stuttgart or wherever they're at and they roll out these fancy routines and and these highballs and these or hail calls and this rolling you know rolling chatter you know feeding chatter whatever it is and it seems so complicated and it, and it probably is, but <laughs> like Barney says in his piece, it when when it, in terms of, of, of building a foundation of, as a duck caller, it all boils down to really five notes, five quacks. And it's mastering that five note cadence that a hen mallard has. And from those five notes, everything else is built. And it's, it's as duck callers, we want to. You know, the first thing I wanted to learn was how to do that double tongue, that, that, you know, the feeding chuckle. So yeah. I spend day after day trying to figure it out. But when, in terms of actual 
in the field have an impact on thing. It's those five notes um, that, you know, that, uh, that yep. Ann Mallard does. And then of those five notes, it really just starts with making that very first one. And so, you know, Barney's recommendation was as a, if you're a younger caller or somebody that's just starting out, master that one quack. And then from there, you can build on to five. And then from there, you can do the hail calls and you do the comeback calls and you can do the all the, the lonesome hand or the raspy hand or whatever it may be. But it all starts with those five. And, um, you know, just talking about it gets me excited. I mean, honestly, it makes me want to go grab my calls and and, and fiddle around for a little bit. But it's um, it's kind of a start simple uh, idea. And he's got some ideas in the in the piece about about the, the sound to make and, and things like that. And, and there are a lot of different. A lot of different um, theories on on what to what to say into the call, and Barney's is is um, is a voot, and I think he he uses that idea of you know with the V at the beginning because a V is something that you actually have to have to speak, you have to actually v- say that say yeah. that letter, say that sound, and in a duck call you can't just blow air through it. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just a. <laughs> you actually actually make that vocalization into the call, and so that's why he recommends using that V O O T voot to learn that quack. And so it's yeah, it, it starts simple, and then from there you can build a repertoire of sounds that you can you know you can use in the field and, and be a more effective hunter. But it all starts with that one quack, and and like I say, that those five that five note cadence that a hen mallard makes. Yeah, and that's you know that's literally you know kind of I I touched on it in the intro. That's really a basic skill, mm-hmm. but it's something that transitioned into literally the lifetime skill and that's you know as you you get your greeting calls your comeback calls your hail calls and you know and then you're getting into the feeding calls and 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 that's something that every hunter probably you know goes through at their own pace mm-hmm. um you know just a, on a funny note i always i've seen seen some people out there and, and a lot of young hunters that they and i think it's because the marketing machine gets them or whatever but you seem <laughs> they've got this lanyard of like nine <laughs> calls and they, they can't blow one of them and it's like you know you got you got to start start at the basics you know you got to go back to the very beginning of basics before you start you know getting you know, a whole lanyard full of calls, get one and yeah. uh, get one that you can use and one that you can make these sounds effectively. And, and I'm kind of the same way as you, you know, I, I get excited about it. And, and one thing I do, I wish I was a better caller. Um, but, but I, I get by, I lent, I lent by, uh, on my, I guess I, I do enough to get by, let's say that. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I always know there's always room for improvement every year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the duck call industry likes those lanyards full of uh, the different calls. There's no doubt about that, but you know, it's, I, on my, I usually have, you know, I always have a short reed goose call on there. I always have a whistle on there uh, mm-hmm. for pennies and for widgeon and, and green wing teal and whatnot. Um, and Drake Mallard call, but you know, I usually only have maybe one, maybe two, uh, duck calls on my, on my lantern at a time. And, yeah. and whether I have a single read on there for more of a competition style call for big water situations or big wind situations. And I usually have a double read just because it's, it's a call that I just, I'm really comfortable with, and I know I can make the sound that I want, that I want whenever I want it. Um, you know, and other guys I know are, are doing more of the Mondo style, the, the cut down style calls for, for different reasons, but it's, you do, you find one that fits you. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if there's one other tidbit of, 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 of information that I would give or a recommendation I would give is that, you know, learning how to be a better duck caller only happens if you, if you actually try it out in the field. And I know there are, um, 
times where you maybe don't feel comfortable doing it, but getting yourself into situations where you can go out, be around birds and watch the reaction to what you do. That's the only way you learn how to be a duck caller. You're not going to learn it by watching a YouTube video. You're not going to learn it by, um, you know, by, by listening to a tape. The only way you're going to learn how to do it is to be actually out in the field and watch what those birds do to a certain sound. And, uh, that's, that's, that's the only place you can learn how to do it. Yeah. That's a good point. A lot of the, the best duck callers that I know, um, are also really, really avid hunters. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they spend a lot of time, even when they were young, they spent a lot of time calling, um, you know, calling and watching how birds react and knowing the right cadence to hit at the right time. And, and yeah. that's a lot, you know, calling to the birds, not necessarily at the birds is, mm-hmm. is something that is, is, and that is, again, that is, that is a lifetime skill to, to achieve, um, and something that is kind of the pinnacle of, of becoming a duck hunter is, is being a, a caller. Um, yeah. now I'm, I'm a big fan of the whistles, you know, and, and I think a lot of different people have their own, you know, personal preferences, but a lot of it also is, um, regional, like where, where are you hunting? And you know, the guys down in Louisiana don't need a lanyard full of mallard calls. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just not, you know, it's South Louisiana, I should say. But if I'm out, if I'm hunting out in, you know, the Sacramento Valley in California, man, you, your focus is probably going to be on green wings, pintails. Um, and so you're really going to have a lot of, a uh, lot more variation to your calls rather than just the simple, um, greeting call, comeback call, things like that. But, but I think that's one thing for people to keep in mind. It is regional. So, um, you know, if you want to pick up a whistle or pick up, you know, do something that, that works for you when you're duck hunting. And like you said, you're only going to learn if you're doing it when you're duck hunting. Yeah, exactly. A whistle is a good, is a good option too, for if you got a young kid in the blind, uh, for something for him to, to, to fiddle around with. And, and, you know, especially if you have a, a, a Drake Mallard call or something like that, if you can, you know, obviously you don't want him blowing a whistle like a referee on a basketball court. <laughs> something like that but you know it's it's a it's something simple that uh you know that a younger hunter or an experienced hunter can do as well yeah and it gets them super involved in the process that's that's a really good point um you know the next step as part of the lifetime skills of the waterfowl hunter um it's an obvious one uh shooting Mm -hmm. you know becoming a better shooter is not always just learned at the range, uh, kind of explain how, you know, the people that you talk to about this and also, you know, how they made some recommendations for really learning how to shoot waterfowl. Yeah. You know, so the, the, the importance of shooting is, is pretty, is pretty obvious. Yeah. You know, and it's, but the importance of, of developing that skill, you know, is something that, um, you're only going to get so many opportunities in the field. You know, you may have days where you only have two or three shots and you want to make the most of those. And it's not not that it's always necessarily about putting birds on the on the strap. But, you know, if you go duck hunt to shoot ducks, I mean, it, it's it's part of it's part of it, you know. And so when you only have so many opportunities throughout the morning, you want to make sure you use the most of them. And it's, it's so it's something where before a hunt, yeah, you want to you want to spend some time with your with your gun. You want to make sure that you're comfortable with it. You want to make sure that you're running. If you've got an idea on, on, you know, just because a certain shot, shot shell manufacturer comes out with a, a brand new, a brand new load, the latest and greatest non-tox load for ducks and geese, just because that it looks fancy, it looks something like something that you'd love to use. It may not shoot really well for your, through your gun. That's something you're going to want to find out 
before the season starts by whatever shells that you plan on shooting throughout the year, putting them through different combinations of chokes and, 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 uh, you know, a combination of choke and shell through your gun to see which one patterns the best. You know, that's something that you don't want to necessarily have to try to figure out in the, in the field. And so, you know, it's the more time you invest before the hunt, um, the better, the better off you are in, uh, in the field. And I'll also, I'll, I'll add to this that, one of the things that I have learned kind of the hard way um, when it comes to shooting is that, um, you know, you stick with what works, you know, and this is something that you and I have talked about before when I think about talking about blue wing teal, about teal season and, you know, a tip from Tony Vandemore down in Missouri about, you know, you, you, you stick with a gun and a choke combination throughout the year that works for you when you've, when you've got it dialed in and I, and I know the gun and I know the load and I know the choke, you know, for me personally, um, when I'm shooting that combination, I don't care what situation I'm in. I don't care what the weather's like. I don't care what kind of birds I'm hunting. I know, I know that gun. I know how it shoots and I know where to put that, the, that barrel to, to be successful. And so as tempting as it is, and this is a thing I've learned the hard way about trying new guns and trying to find maybe one gun that can do it all for me or whatever it may be. Um, I keep going back to the old standby because it's what works for me. And uh, yeah. over time, I'd like to, to try some different things, but I know I got to spend some time with that you know, outside of the, outside of the blind, outside of the marsh or the field, whatever, to, to build some comfortable, to be comfortable with it. So use what you know, and then practice with it, you know, outside before the hunt. That's, those are the two big tips. Yeah. And I think that's a good point as I've, you know, spent some, some time the last few years kind of mentoring a, a younger, younger guy from my neighborhood who wanted to get into hunting. And, and really the first step with him was getting him comfortable with the gun. And getting, you know, he, he didn't have a gun, so he was kind of borrowing and I'd take him shooting and he was a little hesitant and, and over the years, and then he got himself an 870 pump and, you know, and then as that progression of, it wasn't just shooting necessarily, it wasn't just pulling the trigger. It was everything about that, that process that, that kind of brought him around and it, it was all about him just spending more time you know, with the gun as far as loading and unloading and, and mounting and, you know, the whole process. And I think that's a good thing that you brought up is just being, being comfortable. And I, I kind of saw that and I, I guess I took it for granted with me because I shoot a lot. So, you know, I, I just looked at it as like, Hey man, here's how you do this. Here's how you do this. And, and, and as we're going through that, it took him a lot longer than what I thought I was like, you know, what's he doing? Or, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it to him necessarily, but, and he, you know, missing all the time. And he was frustrated about that. And then, and then as he familiarized himself with the loads and with, you know, the, the recoil, everything about it is something that, you know, people over time, it, it really becomes a, a the progression of, of shooting and not only just shooting, like I mentioned, it's actually shooting a duck or a goose in the field. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the, and I think that's the key to, to kind of what even your article was lending itself to. Absolutely. Being comfortable, being confident with it. I mean, there was a, there's a saying in the old West, you know, beware the man with one gun. I mean, you, when mm -hmm. you know, when you're comfortable with that gun and you, you feel confident with it, you're going to be, you're going to be on the. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.
mark, you're going to be more successful. All right. And you know, the next topic in this uh, lifetime skills for the waterfowl hunter is uh, kind of the subhead that you, you provided on here was called scouting the big picture. And it's really a look at when you're scouting, you're not necessarily just looking for the ducks and the geese, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're, there's so much more to scouting and learning how to scout for ducks. And we could probably do an entire podcast oh, strictly yeah. on this topic. I mean, we could talk for days about scouting, um, but kind of go into to the way that, that you were kind of painting this picture as adding this as one of the skills that every waterfowl hunter must have. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you go out scouting, you know, like I did this morning, <laughs> going out scouting mm-hmm. for birds and looking for looking, you know, looking for them in there, whether they're going out feeding around the water, whatever it may be. Whenever you come across a concentration of mallards or Canada geese or snow geese or whatever it is, that's just one moment in time in their daily routine. And it's an important one. You know, it's, it's the it's probably the one moment that you that you start with in terms of trying to formulate a hunt and a plan and those things. But it's just one moment in time in their day. And when I talk about scouting the big picture, the idea is that you are not just trying to figure out that one moment in time, but you're trying to figure out, you're trying to put the every other piece to that puzzle together mm-hmm. so that you may discover along the way that there is a situation or a, or a point in their day-to-day routine that works a whole lot better for you, where maybe you're going to be able to um, hide better or you're going to be able to... Um, be able to be on the X or you're going to be able to, um, you know, use the wind and the sun to your advantage more, whatever it may be. And so the idea then is to, like I say, if you, if you find a group of birds in the, in a field or whatever, try to figure out where they've been before that, and then try to figure out where they're going to go after that. And, um, you know, just for instance, it, it, if, if I find a, a group of honk, uh, Canada geese that are using a silage field or cornfield here in South Dakota, and I discover, I, I say, I, I see 500 of them out in a the field, which is a pretty, it's a decent number. It's not a ton, but it's a pretty decent number. And I'm making plans to hunt that the next morning. And uh, the next morning, uh, before I do that, you know, I decide, you know, I'm going to check this out one more time just to make sure or whatever. And I get out there the next morning before they come in. And I discover that those 500 birds are coming to that field in two huge flocks. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, ah, that's, that's really not, I mean, it's, if it's my only option, fine, that's what it is. And I'll, I've got two opportunities to make some shots, whatever it is, but a field of 500 then isn't maybe as appetizing to me or as, 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 uh, doesn't look quite as good as a field with maybe 200 in it, but they're coming in packs of four or five at a time or singles or pairs. And so it, it's, Again, it's just kind of getting this understanding of of what these birds are doing, how they're coming to a field, where they're going to it afterward. And, and it's once you can once you can figure out those different pieces of the puzzle, it 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 just may, it, it can open up different windows uh, of opportunity for you. Um, and so it's again, this idea of don't just focus on that one point of the day, see what else you can figure out, um, you know, and, and because the more, you know, the the, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that is a very good point. And even that changes, you know, that, that big picture gets even bigger as you look Mm -hmm. at it from a, Hey, there's a weather system coming and and you can learn what these birds do 
um, on different systems. You know, maybe it's a, a very light north breeze or maybe it's a, you know, 25 mile an hour northwest blow that, you know, what are these birds doing here? What are they doing when there's snow, you know? The difference between an inch of snow and six inches of snow, um, especially with Canada geese, can can really change up the way these birds um, react to different things, and and that's part of that scouting big picture. You know, you can learn more about this and, and more about the birds and the habitats they're using by by really taking a I'd like to always say like a fifty thousand foot level perspective, um, looking at it on a, on a huge huge scale rather than just hey there's eight ducks over there and I'm going to go hunt there. Exactly. And, you know, Chris, and that and that's a, a good way of looking at it, too. And, you know, I talk a lot so much about, you know, in South Dakota, my my way of hunting is a lot different than it is in other parts of the country and for better, for worse in, in some ways. And so, you know, for for hunters that are tied into a lease and this is where they're going to be going no matter what, you can still apply this idea, like you said, in terms of 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 paying attention to all the different factors that go into a hunt, whether that's wind mm-hmm. direction or weather or the amount of sun or whatever it may be. Just the more that you know um, is, is gonna, is gonna help you out in the long run. And it may help you determine where you're going to, where you're going to set up that day. Or, you know um, um, if the wind is blowing, you know, from a roost area, you're going to need to set up further away, you know, from where they're, you know, so you're not spooking them off the roost or whatever it may be. But just mm-hmm. as you learning on how to scout, you know, learn part of that process is looking at all the different factors that impact that, you know, it, that impact those birds on a day-to-day basis. And the more pieces of that puzzle that you can put together, the better off. You yeah, are. absolutely. That's, that's great. That is, that is certainly, you know, life lessons that, uh, you know, some hunters may not have the full you know, understanding of this just because of the different habitats that they hunt. But, but no, you know, I always talk to guys, especially guys from the South who it is a lot of leases. It is a lot of, you know, it's not necessarily everything that they're doing is not based on that scouting, but then they want to mm-hmm. take a trip up to North Dakota and do a freelance hunt. And I'm like, man, you got, sure. you, you got, you got, you got something coming to you that you're going to have to learn real quick. Yeah. Um, so that's something for hunters to keep in mind is, is really building that, that less, that life lifetime skill of scouting. The next one on your list here is creating motion in the decoys. This is no secret. This is no, um, you know, eye opening, you know, we're not, we're not breaking any news here that motion is, uh, the key to success on, on a lot of occasions and, and really most occasions I should say. Um, but what were the first kind of steps that, that you kind of talked with or talked to here, the experts saying, um, you know, how to, how to get started in doing this and learn how to use motion as, as much more than just, Hey, let's throw out a mojo. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I talked to Rusty Creasy and Rusty, uh, you know, manages the Coca-Cola duck club in Arkansas, you know, this storied place. And, and it's, uh, it's, uh, uh someplace I'd love to go myself someday. And, and Rusty, you know, when I talked to him, he's, he talked about how it's one of the first things that he learned was the importance of, of motion in the decoys. And this is long before, you know, spinning wing decoys were around and, you know, um, you always hear stories about, about, uh, guys hunting flooded timber that are kicking the water to create that ripple on the water, that sound of mm-hmm. uh, ducks actively, you know, in the water. And it, and it's, you know, and I think that's what Rusty was, was hinting at, you know, in, in his, um, some of his comments in the article that, you know, uh, uh, when you look at ducks on a water, um, or geese for that matter, there's motion, they're moving, they're feeding, they're, they're dabbling, they're, they're tipping up there, whatever it may be. And so as hunters, obviously you want to try to emulate that in your, in your decoy spread. And so, you know, 
when we think about motion, the decoys today, so much of it is motorized decoy. Um, and, and that, that is certainly, that is certainly true. That is, that is, you know, revolutionized hunting in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, Rusty kind of made the comment or, you know, that you use that motion though, in the same way that you, you use a duck call in that there are times where it, a lot of it works and there are times where a little of it works. And there are some times where maybe none of it, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. um, later in the season, birds are used to, used to motion, uh, you know, whether it's a spinning wing or whatever, and that it's, it's, uh, something that you're going to have to cut way back. And so his, his ideas, again, it comes, it comes back to when you're talking about motion, paying attention to how the birds react to it, just like you would with a duck call and yep. watching their reaction to it. And, um, you know, the tool that he mentions and the tool that so many duck hunters mention, um, that, uh, even though, you know, some of your best duck callers that we have, you know, um, um, Jim Ronquist is one from R and T that I think of all the time where he puts his duck call away and he pulls a jerk string. And, and that's sometimes your best call is that just that little added bit of motion. You know, I remember, you know, it's something that I didn't use growing up a lot. Um, you know, but probably about 15, 20 years ago, maybe I started using a jerk string and I put it out for the first time, really not really thinking much about it. It was, you know, something I'd never tried before. And I was hunting some early season ducks in South Dakota and duck call is just not effective. They're just not really social at that point of the year. And I was trying to get, I, you know, I was hitting these mallards and pintails with my best stuff and nothing was working. So finally I did, I put the duck call down and I started yanking on that jerk string. Same place at the same time I would, I would, hit it normally hit a duck with a duck call uh the same point in there you know when they're they're working swinging the decoys and all of a sudden there was reaction and you know i went from zero to 60 <laughs> i mean it was it was yeah. birds not paying attention to me all of a sudden that they were and it was just that little added bit of motion in the decoys and so you know it's like i say it's it's something that you when you're when you're learning how to do it pay attention to how the birds react to it and then um and go off of that sometimes you need more sometimes you need less and sometimes you can leave your duck hall alone you can leave your mojo alone and just like i say add uh, add some motion whether it's kicking a boot in the water or or, or uh, yanking on that jerk string yeah and there's so many options for that i'm a big fan of the jerk string uh, i'm a big fan of the jerk string even in some of these large rice fields that, that i hunt in down in, in arkansas um you know, a lot of guys rely on the the spinning wings, but if you drive across Arkansas in the middle of duck season, you can drive down roads and you can see every single blind because there's two or three dozen decoys and a spinning wing decoy right out front. Um, and so with the jerk cords, what I'm going for is really just giving them something different. Um, mm-hmm. But it's all falls under that motion, you know, that the whole aspect of motion and, and, you know, to each their own and each whatever people use for motion. But it's just a good reminder that, that motion is, is so key um, to success that, you know, there, there are so many different ways to do it. And even more so, you know, as the um, as technology gets better and all of these um you know, different companies are coming out with spinning wings and, you know, what is it? Spitters and, you know, flappers mm-hmm. and flippers and, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, there's so many different options that, you know, and that's why these companies are coming out with that because they all know that, you know, motion is key. Exactly. So the last one on your list for lifetime skills, and I thought this was, uh, you know, such a great addition to this list and, and this article and, and something that a lot of people forget about is, it's people skills, the ability to communicate with other people, you know, 
successfully, I guess I should say, um, kind of explain why this people skills was added to this, you know, monumental list of, of lifetime waterfowling skills. Absolutely. You know, so you think about a, um, a day and a, of an average, an average day for a duck hunter. And it doesn't matter if you're in South Dakota or Arkansas or Oregon or wherever you're at, it's chances are you may be alone, but chances are somewhere along the line, somebody, somebody else had, had a, had a hand in that experience for you, whether that's mm-hmm. a landowner, um, maybe a buddy that's lent you, um, his, uh, his decoys for the day or blind for the day, or you've partnered up and you've purchased, um, you know, a big A-frame together or whatever it may be. Um, or maybe there's other people in the field, you know, maybe you're sharing a public area with uh, two or three other groups of hunters. It's this idea of people skills is that, you know, you are, you are, you are impacted by others in, 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 the, in your hunting experience almost every time you go out. And so mm-hmm. by developing people skills and, and communication, kindness, flexibility, you know, uh, those things that are important, the things that we try to teach our kids, honesty, you know, all, they, they, the, those same skills that help us in, in life in general, they, as a duck hunter, as a waterfall hunter, they, they help you there too. And, you know, you take a landowner, for instance, um, if you're in a position where you're able to, to, uh, scout and, and, and find a place to hunt and knock on a door or make a phone call and, and get permission to hunt, you know, it, it's the simple, it, it's extending a thank you afterward, um, or, uh, a gift, you know, some people will, will share something, um, or it's a simple thank you card. That's one of the things that I try to do, uh, with hunters or with landowners that I, that, uh, that give me permission to hunt is that, um, you know, in addition to giving them something, if, if they would like that, you know, whether it's a, a gift card to a restaurant or something, I just try to send them out my, our family Christmas card at the end of the year, mm-hmm. just as a way to say, thanks for letting me, thanks for letting me access your ground. I know you don't have to do that. And I really appreciate it. And, um, and then beyond that, it, you know, keeping those communications, that line of communication open so that the next time they see or hear from you, isn't the night before that you want to, you know, shoot mallards in their cornfield. And so it's, it's, um, it's an issue of respect and it's an issue of kindness and appreciation. And, and so, you know, landowner is, is one area of that, and like I mentioned before, you know, being able to, uh, to include friends in on, a on a, on a hunt and, and pool resources, you know, I know that's a, something that's especially important, maybe when you're hunting snow geese or these other gear intensive, you know, pursuits, um, being able to have a group of buddies that you can count on to, uh, to help you scout or help you put together a decoy spread or whatever it may be. And then probably the, the outside of the landowner one, that one that's probably the most important though, is just dealing with other hunters and being yeah. respectful. And it's, you know, we all, we've all had instances maybe where we've run into people that didn't behave the way that, that we would like them to. And chances are, we've probably behaved at times where, where we know we could have done better. And so it's, it's, um, you know, recognizing that, you know, we are all, you know, we're all kind of in the same fight together. And, and if, um, if, if I'm within, uh, uh, you know, shorter distance of another group that's hunting a safe distance, but a shorter distance that if I see birds that are working them, that I'm not going to be trying to call them off of them or, or, you know, just being respectful of their experience. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's an, it's not something you would necessarily think of as a waterfall hunter, but people skills, I think are right up there as some of the most important, um, some of the most important skills that you can work on and hone and, and have as a, as a hunter. Absolutely. And, and I think the landowner, um, relationships is, is a good point to bring out, you know, but my, my key that I, I take in on that is, is really being 
kind to other hunters. Um, mm. and, and it all just comes down to just don't be a jerk. I mean, I've been at, you know, everything from boat ramps to, you know, local diners where, where guys are arguing about stuff and, you know, they're, mm. they're upset and, and, you know, one guy did something that another guy didn't like or whatever. And, and, and just being mindful of, of what you're doing out there. And, and like you said, we're, we're kind of all on the same team here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and really the reality is there's not a lot of us. Um, and, and so it's something to keep in mind as far as people skills. And, and another thing that I would add to this is is being kind and, and treating others with respect as far as even, um, you know, representing an entire group of people as far as mm-hmm. being considered a waterfowl hunter. I mean, I go, I spend a lot of time in Arkansas during duck season and, and you'll go into a gas station and, you know, eight out of the 10 people in there are, are duck hunters and you know it and everyone in there knows that the people who own the gas station know it. And, and people have to remember that they're representing an entire group of people uh, with some of the actions that, that they make. And, and, and I, I've done a lot of times where I'm just like, Hey man, you know, you guys have any luck? And guys are just like, why would I tell you, you know, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not asking for your spot. I'm just being friendly here. Um, and so it's something to keep in mind and in the field, out of the field. Um, it's definitely, definitely on the top of the list of, of things for, for people to, to know. Uh, I'm sure we could probably do, like I said, another entire podcast of stories, um, probably just stories that you've had and stories that I've had that would make you cringe looking back on it. Like, Oh man, I can't believe that guy was so rude, you know? Um, but we'll, maybe we'll save that for another day. Yeah, no, we sure, we sure could, but yeah, absolutely. I agree. You're, you're, you have an impact on the, on the entire waterfall community by your actions, whether that's leaving trash or, or not closing a gate or, or being rude to a landowner or whatever it is that we're all better off if we are, um, if we're, if we know we're in it together. Absolutely. That's our, that's our public service announcement for the day. Uh, don't be a jerk in the field. <laughs> that's right. Well, John, this has been great. Um, this is a great list. Uh, people can find this article. It's called lifetime skills for the waterfowl hunter. Um, it's on ducks.org. I'm sure you'll see it as we, you know, progress throughout the season and, and we'll post this kind of stuff on our social media site. Um, but John, thanks for joining me today. It's been awesome. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Thank you. I'd like to thank my guest, John Pullman, Ducks Unlimited Magazine contributor, for joining me today and going through this this great article of lifetime skills for waterfowl hunters. I'd like to thank our producer, Clay Baird, for doing a great job getting the podcast out. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the Ducks Unlimited podcast and supporting wetlands conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. <laughs>